Well, on one hand, Jesus was just participating in a very ordinary, expected family uh, ritual. Uh, the scriptures don't go to much length to describe, actually, this presentation in the temple and what it meant uh, for the first male, and they say almost nothing about the purification uh, of the mother, which was also part of the law that had to happen within oh, about 35 days after the birth, and no sooner, uh, because it was really probably something that was seen as very routine. Um, it was a family gathering, such family as it, as it was, and, uh, and then there were people there in the temple who also showed up to participate, uh, Simeon and Anna, and much like we show up for baptism, like we had here just a few weeks ago, even though we're in COVID conditions, the family, uh, at least the immediate family, came masked up and ready to celebrate. It was part of identifying the baby as part of the faith community. And so it was a, a nice occasion. It turned out, though, that actually it was packed with surprise and meaning. The Holy Spirit showed up. The Spirit guided Simeon to be there that day. The parents didn't just go through a regular ritual, they received a blessing. In fact, maybe the important, most important part of the whole uh, story we just heard is that Simeon directly blessed the parents. These wise people, Simeon and Anna, prepared the parents for how to understand their child. They were empowered for the huge responsibility of raising an extraordinary child. And they were mostly empowered by the affirmations of praise about God's faithfulness and God's goodness and what God was going to do in the world. Those parents experienced the power of community support. I just love the way that little guy's looking at John there in that baptism from a few weeks ago. It got me thinking, and this was really not where I wanted to start out at all, uh, but uh, when I first started reading this passage, I was going way on past this. But it got me thinking about ordinary religious rituals and how powerful they can be to reveal God's presence in everyday life. We live in a modern age, a very secular age. We tend to shuffle a lot of uh, rituals kind of aside or put them in a very small box. Don't expect too much for them. Maybe a nice family celebration. But this passage reminded me of the capacity of rituals to reveal God's presence in everyday life, not just in the moment, but extending beyond. It got me thinking about the importance of families coming together to observe not just the formal rituals that the church controls, like baptism and confirmation and communion and worship, as important as those are, but also family prayer, sharing devotions, singing carols and hymns together, 
putting up nativities, serving together, making significant events together, celebrations that are also of God's presence. It made me aware of what I think is maybe a hidden blessing of this COVID year that we've had, which has been crazy in so many ways. If you have been uh, coming to church in person or if you've been watching online, you and, and you've only been doing that during this COVID uh, time, you might well think that we don't have any children in this church, but we do. But it's very difficult to keep children observing social distancing and uh, in, in our normal Christian education settings. And so most families have opted to worship online, uh, which has been a challenge that our leaders have creatively met. And I actually think there's been a hidden blessing in, in the midst of it. So if we were to think about uh, this setting, which is the pre-COVID children's uh, faith formation, we would see um, children gathering in a structured activity where there's uh, an employed person from the church, usually Gwen or Aaron, and some of the volunteers that they've enlisted to do um, a learning activity together. They do them very well, and that's uh, entirely constructive. But of course, Christian education activities are a short period of time in a week, and there's a whole lot more that goes on in the week, a whole lot more to learn. You can see this is the way they've adapted uh, their learning in the uh, remote learning setting. This is what uh, children's faith formation looks like in a Zoom setting. You can see the kids are all there um, on the screen. They look pretty happy. Same thing for youth. Uh, this is a youth setting in normal times when there's a big event and they're all having a good time. This is up at Youth Annual Conference last year. Um, this is a youth group in the COVID era. This was one that happened fairly early on. You can see everybody looks a little bit um, shell-shocked, a little bit uncomfortable on the screen. If, we, uh, if I had had time to show some of the later ones, they really started loosening up and showing more personality, uh, delightfully so. But when I watched the uh, Christmas Eve family worship service this weekend, I was really struck by a, what seemed to me like a difference. It seemed like the parents and the home setting were starting to help families make connections about the way they could build openness to God's presence and awareness of God's presence and the mystery of that presence in everyday life. So um, these are some shots from the uh, Christmas Family Christmas Eve worship service. Whoops. Oh, wait. First, I, I, in, the, in the weeks leading up to that, you know, Aaron sent us all home with our wonderful Advent kits that were equipping us with ways to do family observances at home. Uh, and some of the folks were doing 
there's an Advent kit down there and a nativity. And then I got a text from a mom whose little, uh, not quite two-year-old, was practicing taking the Jesus out of the manger and putting it back in the nativity scene and learning the name, which she says, uh, Shishish. And I got to see the little video of that. And I realized that families were starting to really take on the role of religious educators themselves. Pretty neat. So this was a scene from Family Christmas Eve. The children were reading scriptures from the uh, Luke story of Jesus' birth. They took turns doing that by Zoom. They sang hymns and Christmas carols together. Some of the children recorded themselves playing Christmas carols and they were all uh, presented near the end of the time in a lovely way. I'm having trouble. And um, one of the things that I noticed was that there were adults in the background. Um, lots of times you didn't see them on screen, but you could hear a parent whispering the words that a child should supposed to be saying. They must have been sitting right there. Every now and then you'll see someone's hand popped up. That was dad. Uh, in one of the later screens, you'll see there's a little girl who was literally sitting on her dad's head most of the time. You only see the top of his head underneath the screen. But the parents were right there in the background supporting what was going on. And in the worship setting for the Zoom, there were lots of grandparents in on the occasion. And I could just see how this uh, work that Gwen and Aaron were doing had shifted a paradigm and opened up more space for adults to feel empowered at home, to open up the family's spiritual life together. So I thought that was a blessing of this. Um, and I wanted to give you a chance to see some of the children of the church who have such wonderful, uh, supportive families of all kinds. And I also wanted to give you a chance to see the wonderful stuff that Gwen and Aaron have been doing. So, but my real message today was about uh, the rest of the story. Uh, Simeon's prayer, Simeon was someone who's described as focusing on finding the consolation of Israel, finding Israel's hope, and um, the Spirit led him to the temple on the day in which Jesus was being presented, and while he was there, he prayed just an outpouring of, um, of blessing and uh, praise. And it starts out, with what's called the Nunc Dimittis, which is um, the Latin, from the Latin Vulgate translation of the beginning of the prayer. Now you are dismissing your servant in peace. Now my life's vision has been fulfilled. Now I can go because I've seen this child and I know what is coming. It got me thinking um, this year, uh, like many of you, I'm guessing, I've thought more about my mortality than I ever have before. And I, I asked myself, what would it take for me to depart and maybe depart this world in peace? 
I'm not afraid to die, uh, but what would it take for me to feel like what has most important to me? I'm seeing it on the horizon coming and be finished. For me, uh, one of the things is that the people I love the most will have faith in God. What would it be for you? It's worth thinking about. For Simeon, he was not going to be content until he saw God's light shining throughout the world. Not just glory for his own people Israel, but a light of revelation for the Gentiles. Simeon's vision was big for God to be blessing and bringing the whole world into order and alignment with his purpose. Interestingly, after he does this beautiful prayer of praise about God's big purposes being realized, he then goes on to give Mary a warning. This child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel. And it struck me, we so oftentimes think about God's good news bringing blessing and rising but it also means that there's some judgment and falling. Some things have to go down so that other things can go up. And it got me wondering about this year, what needs to go down and what needs so that other things can rise. So you've seen those editorials, you know, where they just do the column and they do the up arrow or the down arrow or the neutral and they give a little statement about each thing. That's what I'm doing here. Falling and rising. What has to fall? We don't uh, oftentimes, uh, as adults, you know, go back and make ourselves look at the Ten Commandments again or memorize them. Um, we do cover that in Sunday school, I'm pretty sure, but uh, it seems to me like the Ninth Commandment, uh, which is sometimes translated just as you shall not lie, uh, has really gotten put into a uh, too small of a box. It usually pops into my mind if I'm doing a little white lie or an evasion uh, generally designed to, uh, you know, circumvent having to do a long explanation of somebody or trying to avoid hurting somebody's feelings or trying to just not have, fill in somebody on all the information they could hear. But that's not really primarily what this commandment is about. Uh, in the book, The Ten Commandments and Human Rights by Wal Walter Harrelson, which is a wonderful book, he talks about this commandment as being one that's seriously meant for the ordering of community life. It's not just about lying. It's primarily oriented to not bearing false witness against your neighbor. I want to read this quote. The commandment is directed against the serious, destructive perversions of truth that damage life and community. All institutions of the community are damaged when people do not speak truthfully before fellow members of the community when its affairs are being administered for the good of all. This is a lot about people who are in charge of ordering life for others. So what has got to fall? Public lying. 
got me thinking about an, another old uh, prayer that we used to use with all of our uh, communion services. It's from the older book of worship, uh, not in the current one, but this language uh, I think is powerful. Um, it's about the sins of omission. Um, it starts out dealing with the sins of commission. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done. That's, those are sins of commission. And by what we have left undone. Sins of omission. And it seems to me uh, that jives well with our baptismal vows where we, where we say that we will... Uh, we will have the, exercise the freedom to challenge and stand against oppression and injustice in whatever forms they present themselves. We're not just called as Christians to keep out of trouble and keep our hands cleaned. We are called to oppose and reject what is distortion or evil. It seems to me that in a world in which there's a lot of public lying, sins of omission, keeping quiet in the face of refutable lies, it's going down. Like me, you've probably thought more than you ever could have imagined possible about masks this year. Brought to mind for me, Paul's dealing with the church in Corinth. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Do not seek your own advantage, but that of the other. People who have been protesting uh, mandates to wear masks on large scale or small scale have been doing so in the name of freedoms and liberties that belong to individuals. I have often also made arguments about freedoms and, and, and liberties that belong to individuals. And this year, I, will no long, I have learned, I will no longer think about talking about individual freedoms without consideration of community consequences or responsibilities that accompany those freedoms, or the costs that accompany those freedoms. I was really um, scared in some ways, reluctant, scared, not, not frightened scared, but scared of doing something wrong uh, in talking about any of this today in a way because uh, politics is so divisive and um, it's so tempting in this day in which we are really cast into neat boxes on opposite sides so easily. It's so easy to make our political affiliation kind of protective and absolute. Our citizenship is in heaven, I'm reminded by Philippians, and it is from there we are expecting a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our ultimate hope is not from any human agent, but it is from God and God working through human agents. And I do not want to create ways that we further divide people in this place in which we should be united by a common transcendent hope.
and faith. You shall not make for yourself any idol, whether in the form of anything that's on heaven above or that's on earth beneath. And sadly, it is easy to make an idol of our political affiliations and our political parties. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Another thing that I think must fall in a world in which Jesus is rising is privilege-guided thinking. We've seen privilege-guided thinking take many forms this year. I have been aware, as I never have uh, before, to the, to the same extent of how much privilege accompanies me. Most of us have become aware that people of color, people of economic uh, low means, have had disproportionate costs that they've borne during this pandemic and have disproportionate burdens that they bear through all of life. We are going to have to try to learn to set aside our privilege-guided thinking in order for others to rise and for us to rise together. What's rising? I appreciate as never before people who are actually servants. Not just people doing their jobs, not just people volunteering, but people who are serving. People who are acting in ways formally and informally in service to a higher power that binds us all together. People who are willing to sacrifice, going above and beyond what is needed for their own sustenance and their own gratification to help others. It is always refreshing. It is always elevating to see and meet people doing just that. And we have so much this year. Duty, courage, honor, actions speak volumes. One of the things that's been a, a, a feeling of mine during this year in which there's been so much lying and distortion and spin and media saying one thing, media saying another thing, is that it feels like words themselves have become less valuable. And for me, then actions become so much more important. Actions that actually try to solve problems, that try to reach out and connect to people. Actions speak louder than words. And I include in those actions prayer, one of the most important actions we can take. Also rising is solidarity with those who are struggling. We started out uh, today looking at the pictures of children who have parents who are involved in their lives, who have the capacity to help them with technology, who have the freedom of time to be able to support them and really be part of their journey. During this, uh, because of our partnership with Hubbard, we uh, started an LEC here and for me, it's been a humbling and 
empowering experience, a powerful experience, because I really experienced being in solidarity with people who were struggling. Children in the school system who made their ways to our doors came here because they needed help. Remote learning is difficult. It was especially difficult for some of them who were not native English speakers and perhaps did not have any adults in their homes who spoke English. They also had limited uh, technology access and smaller homes in which to be trying to multiple, have multiple children learn. Adults who weren't technologically sophisticated, so many challenges. So we opened our doors to be an LEC and I'm very grateful for the many people who helped with that in so many ways. Um, it took a lot of people, and I'll show you that in a minute, but first I wanna say, I learned a lot about solidarity because I, you might think that you wanna help people by solving their problems or being able to improve their situation. And one of the things that was so humbling for me was that I realized I was having a terrible time figuring out how to actually be helpful to all of the children according to what they needed. I, I wasn't sure that I was actually doing the job of supporting them well enough to actually be helping them. I got so discouraged that I actually decided to quit at one point. Um, and, uh, Fortunately, when I went to tell one of the mothers uh, who brought a child here that we were going to be quitting, she started crying. And I went home and I thought about the fact that even though I wasn't sure that I was helping them, I was leaving them without any other alternatives because they'd already checked out the ones they could. And so whether I f was having the gratification of feeling like I was doing a good job they didn't have a choice about whether or not they were gonna do a great job. They just couldn't quit. And I felt like I couldn't quit either. So I got back in there and worked a little harder and tried to figure it out a little more, pulled in some more resources from other people who wouldn't quit too. I'm so grateful to them and their availability. And we started again, making things happen. Um, I'll show you some pictures of the LEC in just a minute. It's really important to stay sane, as sane as you can. For me, in these days in which it seems like I'm feeling for so many people struggling, part of the way I stay sane is by doing what I can, realizing it may not be nearly as much as I'd like to, but uh, it's just what I can do. So these are just a few of the kids. We had about 15 different kids come through our doors. Many of them um, got remote learning figured out. Their parents sometimes had to quit their jobs. Um, during this time in which we had children coming to the LEC, we saw the effects of the economic situation and other things that were affecting the world today. We saw families consolidate and move in together, and I'm sure in order to save bills. We saw children who were saving the lunches, bag lunches we packed for them in order to take some home for family members who didn't have enough food. 
We saw children and their generosity, a family who just lost a family member who they were taking care of, bring a carload full of uh, medical supplies to go to someone else. Their generosity and their spirit humbled me and said, well, if they can just keep on going, even when they don't know exactly how to progress, then I, with all of my resources, including this wonderful congregation, I can do that too. So they started out very quiet and timid with masks on. We also, by the way, had children who were being raised by grandparents because parents had drug problems. But after a while, they, they really warmed up. We, we figured things out better. The kids were uh, supported by wonderful volunteers. I'm so grateful to them. Some of the women who um, really wanted to be able to help but needed to really take care of their uh, health for uh, reasons of all of the other people they were connected with um, gave a lot of time every week making lunches. People sewed masks for the kids. People donated supplies. It was a lot more work for Bill, who was a real champ about setting up and disinfecting everything. Gwen and Aaron pitched in. You all gave financially. When we um, started to do Christmas presents for them to take home, the kids were really loving this place. It really was a sanctuary for them. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to learn from them. One of the other things I've learned during this time, um, if I had included another up arrow, it would have been about partnership. Uh, because you need to uh, have a childcare license in order to have uh, children more than eight hours a week. We actually fudged towards the end and had them 16 hours a week. but. Uh, they needed much more than we could give, and I didn't know what to do about that, but thank goodness for our United Methodist connection. I found um, United Methodist Church for All People on the south side, which does have a child care license um, uh, for a pandemic, and um, is, was committed to opening up a new site and they have made room for the kids from our LEC who still really need help and need it every day. And they are open all day, every day. And our children will be going down there starting at the beginning of January. I will really miss them, but it is what they really need. And three cheers for partnership and for knowing when other people can do a better job than you can do. I'd love to hear some of the things that you've learned during 2020 about God, about yourself, about being a discipleship, being a disciple and staying sane. Please send them to me. God is good. This next year, we're being prepared to make this next year for us a time in which we're all rising together. And may God bless us in that endeavor. Amen. <laughs>